So I'm glad you came out. And if it's your first time here watching online, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We've been praying for you guys. And we concluded a series a couple weeks ago. And so the last two weeks, we're having standalone messages. Pastor Jordan shared last week. And I've got a standalone message that I'm going to share with you today. And I want to jump right into it. And I want to open up with our mission statement, Northwood's mission statement. And our mission is to build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. Now, that's not an original mission statement. We've copied that from Jesus, so I want to let you guys know that, right? We, 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 he doesn't mind he doesn't have a copyright license. It's, you know, our mission has always been and will continue to be Jesus's mandate. And that's what we try to model our church after. This is what we strive to model our life after. And it takes a lifetime to do it because we know that day by day, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're being conformed into the image of Jesus rather than our own image. And how many of you know that's a good thing? So it's our mission, but Jesus' mandate in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, and Jesus, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation, to every people group, to every person on the planet, proclaim my gospel too. And I, I love Jesus. He just levels the playing field and he said that, but he modeled that while he was on earth. We know that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. We know he's the great mediator. We talked about that a few weeks back. But Acts talks about Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe the Holy Spirit is on earth working in behalf of the word and God. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And those who confess Christ and believe in him, the spirit of God indwells the believer and begins to work God's mission in us and through us, it's a and it's an amazing thing. And so we see Jesus modeling this for his disciples while he was on earth. And so we're gonna look at some snapshots of Jesus right here in the Gospels. And we're gonna look at the different people he encountered and the different things that he made, the impacts that he made on people. If we're gonna follow Jesus this is a good place to start. If we had to title today's message, it would be The People Jesus Sees. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we pray that it would impact our heart right now. Lord, you liken the heart to soil. And so, Father, we're praying right now that, God, the soil of our heart would be good, Lord, that you would stir it up with the word, God, that the word would fall on good ground in our heart, God, so we receive your word with meekness, with humility, God, and, 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 and utter dependence on you. And Lord, we're praying that your word would produce 30 
and 60-fold fruit in our life. God, we want to be fruitful. So God, we're praying your word would make us fruitful for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now look, Jesus impacts all types of people in the gospels. And I, I, I think it covers a myriad of people groups, a myriad of situations. And it would take a long time to go through every storyline. So we have just a few that we want to go through. But we see Jesus encountering the broken and the prominent, and he sees all kinds. And the first person that Jesus sees is those who have success. And when I say success here, I mean temporary success, earthly success, or success that people would deem as success, right? Success a lot of times is, is in the eye of the beholder. And so in this particular uh, story, there was a man named Nicodemus, he was a teacher, he was a Jewish teacher, he was a prominent teacher. Some believe he was in the Sanhedrin, the council. He was a teacher of teachers and all those studying to be rabbis and studying to come up in the religious ranks of, of the people of Israel would, would love to sit at the feet of Nicodemus and hear him teach. And he was applauded often and he had high standings. And those who were seeking to live that lifestyle, he was a role model, if you would. He was one of those guys, Nicodemus. John chapter three discloses a little bit about his character here. Chapter three, it says here, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came, by to, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, what, we, know, we, we know that you are a teacher who came from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This was a, a, a pivotal statement that Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a seeker. He was searching for more. As a matter of fact, he didn't want other people to know he was searching because he was the, one of the greatest teachers of Israel, and so he went by night to visit this man named Jesus. He had to hide. He had to hide in the shadows and scurry behind the doors. And he was a prominent guy, but the word of Jesus's fame had begun to spread and already the council were worried about this man named Jesus. And there was great discussions amongst them about what's going to happen and how is he doing these miracles. Maybe it's by the spirit of divination. Maybe it's demonic. And there was all kind of power struggles going on. But Nicodemus, though he looked outwardly successful, something was drawing him to more. He started realizing he didn't have all the answers. He was searching. And I think that's what happens to us when we look to this life for answers and we reach a pinnacle, if you would, and there's nothing there at the pinnacle. There's nothing at the summit that we climb on earth, though we climb it so hard every single day. We try to climb the human constructs of what is perceived as success and we even strive to reach that summit, but when we get to the summit, we're alone. And it's a trap. And I think Nicodemus had met his summit, but he was, he was searching for more. And Jesus said, you had to be born again, Nicodemus. His intellect and his logic and his success came up short. 
And this, this next level or this new birth required faith from Nicodemus. And there was nothing within himself that could actually achieve this. And that's a great place to be. How many of you guys, gals out there have worked really hard to stop something, control something, or achieve something, and you get to the end of yourself and you realize there's nothing left? <laughs> I think that's where Nicodemus was. You know, man always looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart, and I think he saw, he didn't see any of Nicodemus's success because the scripture tells us that those are filthy rags to God. They don't measure up, but I think he saw a man that he was drawing to himself searching for more. And that's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. He just goes right past all of those drapes and all those curtains and all that human construct and all those things that we do with our energy here on earth. And he looks right at the heart of the matter. That's what I love about Jesus. I can't do that. How about you? Success can lead to pride and pride's a great tool of deception. And we know God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think God was extending grace to Nicodemus as he was coming to him, asking these questions. You know, I was thinking about Nicodemus and I, and I wrote this line down. I said, regardless of our earthly status, we need the spirit of God to reveal truth to us. And Jesus is that truth. Jesus encompasses all of truth. In the beginning was God and the word was with God and Jesus was in the beginning. And he sees us in whatever we perceive as success and he works right through those things like he did Nicodemus. But he also sees those with shame he sees the prominent, he sees the broken. Jesus sees those who are trapped in shame. You know, there's a lot of psychological implications of what shame does to an individual emotionally and psychologically over time. And we know that shame is not God's plan for our life, but we live in shame because we're broken by sin. There is a woman like that in the Bible. Jesus was with his disciples returning from Jerusalem to Galilee and he took the shortcut through Samaria. And Samaria was really a place that the Jewish people didn't travel. They were really like, nah, these people are unclean. We're really not even gonna go in that area in Samaria, you know what I mean? There's probably some areas that you're like, I'm not gonna go over there. And that was kind of this area. It was like, no, these people are stained with sin. But Jesus said, we're gonna take the shortcut through Samaria. I imagine a lot of times when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and they're like, why are we going through Samaria? Hey, we're going to take a shortcut. Like, man, Jesus, nobody, eh, don't worry about that. But I think he saw that woman already as he was taking that shortcut. This woman that we're going to read about, this Samarian woman at the well, because Jesus sees those with shame. John chapter four, verse seven says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to them, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now pause that right there. What very significant part is that 
Number one, she's drawing water by herself. Typically, women went early in the morning to draw water because it was the cool of the day. And I don't know if anybody in here has ever drawn any water before and walked it a few miles. Well, it's like carrying a stick with two five-gallon buckets, everybody. She was bad. She's a tough lady. And so the women would come early in the morning while it's cool, but she wasn't coming early in the morning because there was another problem going on with her. So not only was she a Samaritan, that the, the Jewish people were kind of like the promises of God, I'm not sure, you know, but also within our own community, she was by herself getting water. We'll see right here why. Verse nine, the, the Samaritan woman said to them, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus understood what was going on with this woman's life. By the way, side note, living water here is identified as the Holy Spirit dwelling within a believer so that they're never thirsty again, so that their deepest desire to long to know God would be satisfied. And that's what he's saying. Know it, you will be satisfied in the Spirit of God to know God. He is with you. But, but he knows the deepest spiritual need of this woman because this woman, this particular woman, if you go on and read the story, she had five husbands. She's divorced by them and some of them had passed away and then she was actually with another man outside of marriage and she was living in shame. Thus, she was drawing water by herself because she was rejected, not just by the Jews as a Samaritan woman, but also by the Samaritans because of her deal. And Jesus knew exactly where she was. Isn't that powerful? Jesus always knows exactly where you are as a person. Shame can drive people or have the propensity to drive people into isolation. It's a trap. Regardless of where shame has brought you, Jesus sees you and he's calling you to follow him. I love that Jesus goes for the one that nobody's going for. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Think about your own self. I think about me, foolish things of the world. Man. Mm. Jesus sees those with shame, but Jesus also sees those who are sick. You know, in this lifetime, we're going to face sickness at times. And that's a tough one. That's why I just read this scripture. Though our outward man, our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. You know what I'm talking about? We have the promise Come on, somebody. I was watching a documentary last night of the mummies and the pyramids. Say, golly, yeah, I like to watch history and stuff like that. And these guys, man, they would put themselves in these concrete caskets and mummify their bodies and face it upward and put all their stuff in there. We've got the promise. We ain't got to do nothing. They went through a lot of work, everybody. But from dust you came, from dust you returned. I don't know. 
Jesus sees those who are sick, though. Listen to this. There was a man that was at a pool, where, and he was sick for many years, and Jesus sees this guy. John chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? What a question, first of all. Bethesda, really, the word Bethesda, that means the house of mercy. It's funny how that, it was called the house of mercy at that time, and people would lie there in hopes of a cure, a miracle cure, and they'd lie there in just years. Jesus had divine knowledge of the man's situation when he got there. He already knew the man had been there for 38 years and there was something special going on with the man. He saw him. And the story goes on and he told him, man, I'm paralyzed basically and people are getting pushed into this water and it's the miracle water and I don't know, some, I'm not getting cured, blah, 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 I can't get in the water. Jesus said, get, take your mat up and go home. Don't worry about the water, I am the water basically. And this leads people to a lot of different questions, and this leads people to a lot of conflict, this scripture does. It leads me to conflict as a pastor. People lay sick, and we lay hands on them and pray for divine, immediate recovery of the body, and sometimes it doesn't happen, and sometimes you don't see that. But as you look at the the, the, the gospels, you, you, you realize that, that we're decaying and we're going to die one way or the other and we're ultimately being healed. We're, we're, where there's no more death, come on somebody, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. There's a glorified body that doesn't decay anymore. You, look, Paul the apostle, he was a younger guy, he said, I wear this, wor this world like a loose garment. Now, this is a tough place to live, and I think, again, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symptom of spiritual maturity. He said, for me to die is gain, but for me to, Christ is, for me to live right now is Christ in fruitfulness, and I'm torn between the two. And instinctually, we never want to die, and we want to be healed. And I pray for healing for every single person, and, and we believe that God can heal. And I, and I pray and I believe that God can heal, but I believe that God's sovereign and his will can be done and we don't always understand it and we won't always, and look, we're not gonna understand things in this lifetime, I'm, I'm here to tell you. We look through, the, we look through a, 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 a glass that's dim, the Bible says, but the, but the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and we anchor ourselves in that. But what I do wanna say is that God sees the sick and the desperate and he comforts them. He hears the cries of the desperate. And I imagine this man cried out over and over again, and God heard his cry. You know what comforts me in the midst of these things that we don't understand? Am I going to be healed? Am I not going to be healed? What's going to happen? I don't know that God hears our cry. God hears us, and he comforts us. We have to believe that, everybody. Listen to me. God hears his people. 
We might not understand everything and why this guy get healed and why that guy healed. Why did the guy for 38 years at the pool Bethesda get healed and why didn't my mom get healed or why didn't my dad get healed or why didn't my brother get healed? Why am I not getting healed? It's happening. It hurts. It's, it, it leads to desperation and it can lead to confusion. But the word re-anchors us back in and says, nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. You got to say that. You got to faith faces that. And we got to know that Jesus, he heard the, the cry of the man at the pool of Bethesda. He hears the cries of the desperate. And the Holy Spirit attends to them 100%. And Jesus also, he sees those who are silent. You know, there is a story about a leper in the Bible. And at that time, these Lepers had these skin diseases and they were considered unclean by the priest when they had these. So already the man of God said, you're unclean. And most of the time back then they associated, you know, those things with sin and um, disease. And he's like, you're unclean. And no, no, you're unclean. If anybody touches you, you're unclean. So you know what I'm talking about. Now we're talking like that, that. That sounds like contagion, right? You know what I'm talking about? That'd be like, you're unclean, and, and if anybody in here touches this dude, you're going to be unclean too. You know what everybody's going to do? They gone, bro. That was the law back then. If it was the law now, you'd be running. Because <laughs> once you're unclean, you're out too. And so this is where this guy was, the leper. Jesus sees those who are silent. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, when he came down from the mountain, Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It took a lot of boldness, by the way, for the leper to do that. He didn't just run up in the crowd and run on somebody like that, you know what I mean? They already, you know. So it took boldness right there to do that from the leper. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When no one would hear this cry when no one would hear this plea, Jesus heard him. Though he was isolated, though he was outcast, though he seemed unreachable, Jesus reached him. Jesus reaches the unreachable, everybody. Jesus reaches the unreachable. That's what the leper represents in this story to me, the unreachable, the ones that no one can reach out to. Jesus reaches the unreachable. Some of you right now might be praying for loved ones that you feel is unreachable. Jesus can reach the unreachable. Come on, somebody. Amen. We might not always be able to reach them. Jesus can reach them. That's why we pray. We pray for people because the Bible tells us to. Jesus reaches the unreachable. But you know, the, the amazing thing, if you look in the story of every one of these different types of people groups, there's a deeper need and Jesus sees a deeper need in every person. Now, we don't know much about these people's personality and their character and their upbringing and what it looked like in the home and all of those things. We just see these like highlights and we don't know exactly all the things that might have happened after they encountered Jesus, right? The gospels continue, the accounts of Jesus continue and you look into history and you, but you, you lose those storylines, right? They just kind of fade out. But Jesus always sees a greater need and I believe that he continued to, to employ these people to glorify him in the midst of their life as it continued on in patterns we don't know because it's not disclosed to us. And the need that every person has 
is this sin solution. Because Romans tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. Every person has fallen short of the glory of God. Remember me and saying in the beginning, you know, those filthy rags, those, those accomplishments maybe that Nicodemus would bring, all of those things that we bring, all of those good works that we try to muster it up to be justified, it's, it's like filthy rags. There's only one who justifies us, and his name is Jesus. There's only one justifier, and it's Jesus, and it's acquired by faith. And the deeper need is that people would be reconciled to God. The deeper need wasn't for the paralytic to get up and take his mat and walk. If he had a glimpse of the eternal glory that lied ahead of him, he wouldn't even wanted to walk if his eyes would have been fully opened. He would have said, take me now. But because our eyes are not fully opened into that unseen realm in eternity, sometimes it's hard for us to reconcile that and we want to stay now. But the deeper need is to be reconciled to God. The deeper need wasn't a good husband for the woman at the well, though God wants us to have a good husband. That's not what I'm saying. The deeper need was a sin issue and that he would be, that she would be reconciled to God and that she would thirst no more and that she would be in eternity with Jesus because he's building a heavenly kingdom. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Man, just think about that for a moment. It shows you, we don't think about often, that's how, so there's an old preacher who used to say, we, we, wear, we, we walk around with iron shoes. Remember that? Meaning we, the shoes of this earth are so heavy, we're so consumed with this, these trappings that it's like we're walking around with iron shoes on. The deeper need is to be reconciled to God. That's some of you right now. God's been drawing you to himself. You just close your eyes right there. Watching online in this room. The deeper need is to be reconciled to your Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. The deeper need is that you would be born again of God's Spirit that you would taste the living water and you would thirst no more because you're gonna be thirsty on this earth, but you'll be satisfied in Christ. That's the deeper need. And there's one who meets this need and it's the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man and it's the man Christ Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the initiator of your faith. And he's drawing you to himself. His name is Jesus. He's our God. He's the one that we magnify. He's the one that paid the price that no man can pay. He's the one who we adore and worship. He's the one that we cast our crowns and our successes at his feet. He's our great high priest who we bring our sin to and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. His name is Jesus. He's drawing you to himself. He's doing it, not me. You 
You just surrender to his call. He wants to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's a gift that you receive. Lord, thank you for your cross. That's what you're saying right now. Thank you for paying the price I couldn't pay. I believe in you, Lord. I believe you paid that price and I put my trust in you. And the Holy Spirit sees that heart. He understands where you are and by a miracle, the Holy Spirit indwells you. and you're born again of God's spirit. It's a seal on your life. It's a guarantee that you're a son and a daughter of God. And we thank you. We receive that by faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen.